Carrie, would you pray for our time in the Word? Yes. Heavenly Father God, as we come together this morning, we first want to lift up your name, God. Yes. Honor you above all things, God. And Father, secondly, I want to just intercede right now for the persecuted church, Father. Yes. Father, we take for granted the liberties that we have here, God. And Father, I just pray as those that are meeting in secret, those that are meeting under persecution, those that are literally facing death today because they have chosen to stand for you, God. Strengthen them, encourage them. May they never falter. May they never give in, God. And Father, I pray for the families of those, God, who will enter into your kingdom today. Father, who will enter into your presence because they chose to stand for you. Today they will give their lives. Yes. So, Father, I pray that those around them would be encouraged by their death and that it would not be in vain and that many would come to know you through that today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Father, thank you, Lord Jesus, God, that you, Father, have given us yet another day of life. We thank you, Father, that your mercies are new every morning. And Lord, I pray, God, as we gather today and we open up your word, Father, that we would be encouraged, Father. Encouraged, Father, to keep persevering and pressing on and, Father, keeping our eyes focused and fixed upon you, the author and finisher of our faith. We thank you, God, that you've begun this work in us, and you are faithful to complete it, Lord. We thank you, Father, that we can come boldly with confidence before you, God, not of anything of ourselves, but all because of Christ. And, Father, for those who may be with us and those who may be listening today or future on the podcast, Lord, Father, that are not in Christ, oh, how I pray today would be the day of salvation, Father. God, that they would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved, Father. That their eyes would be open, that their ears would hear, and they would respond, Father. We thank you that they would come to have a belief and a confession that you are the Son of God and that you rose from the dead. And that they would be born again, Father. That they would receive your Holy Spirit, Lord. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, that your kingdom will come and that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you, God, for the awakening of the urgency of the hour. We thank you, God, that you've created us for today, for this time, for this purpose. Father, to be your hands and your feet, to go forth, Father, and to bear your image to a world that desperately needs to hear the gospel, the good news. So have your way among us and in us and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The second R, resolve. Three R's that I've been holding up before us throughout this year. Repentance, resolve, and to release. Hopefully to encourage us to mature as Christians. And so when you think of to resolve and what does it mean to decide firmly on a course of action, to make up one's mind in these scriptures that I've given us um, over throughout the year in hopes to encourage you, Philippians 4 verse 13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Psalm 118 verse 6 through 8, the Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look and triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 and 25. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. Galatians 5, verse 24 through 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit... Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. In Romans 6, verse 11 through 12, 
So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires to resolve, to make up one's mind, to decide firmly on a course of action each and every single day. It is vital for the Christian and their maturing and their growing to think upon what they're thinking upon. Because remember, the Word of God tells us how does He transform us? By changing the way we think. And if we already have the foundation and the understanding, the importance of repentance, that it's not just a one-time little prayer, but it's every single day. It's a lifestyle. When we understand that we are behind enemy lines and we're constantly being bombarded by the realm in which we cannot see, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but Jesus has come to give us life and life in abundance. And that life can be experienced now, here and now, in this present tense. We can live the fullness of what Christ came and gave us. Are you seeking him daily? Oh, how I pray that you are. Oh, how I pray that you understand that you have to be actively engaging in warfare. Not in your own strength, but in His strength. It is because of Christ and only of Christ that we are able to stand, that we are in right fellowship with God, our Creator. Romans 5.1 Now therefore you are at peace with God through Jesus Christ, your Lord. You're no longer in rebellion towards Him. You're not seeking to continue to go your way. So in order to war against the flesh, to war against the world, to war against the enemy, you've got to release everything that has captivated you in each of those areas. You gotta let go. That's the third R to release. So you see how vital these three R's are for the Christian life: repentance, to resolve, to release. And when you repent, repentance is a turning away from. It's just not saying you're sorry. And a, hopefully, you're learning throughout this year uh, the, the the true picture of repentance. And in that, you get up and you begin to move in a new direction. And in order to begin to get up and move into a new direction, you have to resolve. You have to make up your mind. You have to decide firmly on a course of action. And that decision is following Christ. He's begun this work in you. He's the one you need to depend upon. You got to get up every day and throughout the day, no matter what's coming at you or what's going on in you, to decide firmly to follow Christ. That I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like you learn how to engage. Because again, as we've heard over and over and over and over, the world is only getting darker, there's no turning it around. It has to get darker because Christ is coming. 
And so as the church, we don't look at it as defeat. No, we look at it as what it is. Our Christ, our Lord is returning. Our bridegroom is returning for us. And so we must be about our Father's business. We must seek Him above all. We must honor Him above all. And as I keep reminding us, why would we continue to cling to the temporalness of this life? Why would we continue to stiff-arm God? Why would we continue to continue in rebellion towards Him and then feel comfortable to slap His name on our lives as if we belong to Him? It makes no sense to be born again and still living over here feasting off your vomit, remaining dirty. No, you've been born again. You have to understand the fullness of Christ and all that He has done for you. Like when you know Him, when you truly see Him for who He is, when you have been born again, the old never satisfies you. It shouldn't even be calling out to you. And if it does, you shouldn't be turning around to look at it. You should be running towards Him. There's nothing good that can come from the flesh. There's nothing good that this world can offer you. And there's definitely nothing good that the enemy can parade in front of you. The Bible says that we are to submit ourselves to God, then resist the enemy, and he has to flee. And I've, as I've taught on that scripture before to encourage us, I'm going to remind us, a lot of us are doing a lot of resisting, and we're forgetting that we're supposed to be first submitting to God. Full submission to God, to make up your mind, to live a life submitted to Christ. It's not a forced submission. You willingly submit because you see Him for who He is. The beauty of Christ, the hope that is found in Christ and every day, throughout the day, and to the days to come, decide firmly. Make up your mind to follow him. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. We've got some scriptures here and hopes to encourage you to persevere. Listen, that is our position, persevering. We're not just to be taking up camp and sitting down. No, we're to continue to be moving forward. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality, or, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom 
of God. And some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Listen to the word of the Lord. You have to decide firmly. You have to make up your mind that you once lived that way, but you have been washed clean. You have been made holy, and you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It has nothing, it has nothing to do with you following religion. It has nothing of you, it has nothing to do with you, with your prayers, with your service, with your ministry, with whatever you think you are contributing. But it has all to do with Christ. And the power in which we received when we were born again, the Holy Spirit. We have been born again of the Spirit. We're not to be living lives that grieve the Spirit, but we're to be following the Spirit. We're to be in active fellowship with the Holy Spirit, not just when we, quote-unquote, come to church or turn on church, but it's an active engagement each and every single day throughout the day with the Holy Spirit of God in you. And you decide firmly on a course of action. You make up your mind. This is who you are. This is how you live. Your eyes have been open and your ears are hearing. As he bids you to come. To come out from among them. And to pursue righteousness. Oh, that the Lord would give us a greater hunger and a thirst for righteousness in this hour. Listen, he says, do you, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. In the day and age, and as the age continues to progress until the Lord's return, don't you realize that that is what's going to be allowed among the church? The twisted gospel, the gospel that gives you the right to yourself, that excuses your sins, just keep living the way you want to live and it's okay. But you will never find that in the gospel. You must be born again. Not just sitting in church. Not just turning on church. Not just throwing your money in the offering plate without giving thought and prayer towards it. Not to just saying and rambling prayers. Not just doing and doing and doing and doing. But truly trusting in Him and living for Him and empowered by Him to accomplish His purpose and His will in this generation. Your life is significant. You may not reach the masses, but you may reach the one that will. Live your life. Choose this day and from this day forward whom you will serve. 
And don't fall prey to the lie of the enemy that distorts the gospel, perverts it, waters it down, and strips him of his power. The Bible is very clear. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And you say, but that's active in my life. Then I say, repent. Repent. Resolve and release. If you've come to Jesus, these are not to be an active way that you're living. It doesn't mean that you may not fall prey to it, but it doesn't mean that you remain enslaved to it. Get up, press on, and move forward. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles you and stop allowing it to identify with you. Praise be to God, this is how you once lived. This is who you once were. But you've been cleansed. Made holy. So the next time that the enemy wants to whisper in your ear about your identity, the next time the enemy wants to whisper in your ear to cheat or to lie or to steal, the next time the enemy wants to whisper in your ear to give you the right to explode, the next time the enemy wants to whisper in your ear, silence him with truth. I once was... But now I am. Encourage yourself in your faith. Be around others who are encouraging you in your faith to, to grow. Not just sitting beside you, encouraging you to do whatever you want. Live however you want. Be whoever you want. No. I keep telling us and encouraging us we must care about people's eternity more than we care about their temporalness of their life. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 21. Pressing on toward the goal. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things. Or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. 
But listen to this, verse 16. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for Him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like His own, using the same power which with which he will bring everything under his control. And though God, the church, should say amen. Yes. Pressing on. Realizing that we are not perfected on this side of heaven, but that does not give us a right to allow sin to master us. We understand that yet though our perfection will be when we are with Him finally, but until then we ought to be maturing, forgetting what is behind, and pressing on each and every single day, pressing on. I keep reminding us, First John tells us, I write to you so that you will not sin, but if you do, remember, and remember Christ. Remember what he's done. Remember where he is at. He is at the right hand of the throne room of the throne of God, interceding on our behalf. Your life is to be changing daily. Hold on to the progress you have made. Cling to Christ. Run to Christ. Call upon the name of Jesus. Do not just settle for your church attendance to get you into His kingdom. Do not settle that you said a little prayer at one point in your life to get you into His kingdom. Do not settle for the lies that the enemy has been running amok in the church with and think you're going to enter into His kingdom. It is His kingdom. It is all about Him in His glory. He is holy, holy, holy. He is righteous and just. His love endures forever. And He's returning to gather up those who belong to Him and the others are going to experience His wrath. His judgment. Because He's just. And oh, how I keep encouraging you. Stop trading His love for His wrath. Stop just living lives that are not reflecting Christ. Stop going along with the ways of the world. Stop celebrating rebellion in yourself and in others. And submit yourself to God. Humble yourself before Him. Call upon Him. 
resolve, make up your mind to follow him. Jesus tells us, if you're going to follow me, you must deny yourself. You must pick up the cross and follow him. You cannot follow him if you're first not denying yourself and picking up the cross. And the cross is the way of death. You're dying to yourself. But you're being made alive each day and throughout the day in Christ. Oh, the joy that is found in Christ. The peace that is found in Christ. Jesus says, peace I leave you. Peace I give to you. And this peace is nothing missing, nothing broken. It's wholeness. And and I keep reminding us of that as I keep reminding myself. And so you have to choose each and every single day. Are you living like a broken person? Are you living like you're living out you're living in lack? Or are you choosing to live out of wholeness? There's nothing missing in my life. There's nothing broken in my life. I have surrendered to Christ. And when the broken areas want to scream at me, when I feel the lack in my life, I can do two things. I can choose either to look at what's broken or the lack, and I can allow them to identify me, or I can look into Christ, and that my hope in Him will not disappoint me, and that I can get up each day, and I can make it through each day, no matter what may come my way, because I'm not clinging to the temporalness of this life, and I'm surely not afraid of death any longer. In this world, I will have trouble. You will have trouble. But Jesus says, but be of good cheer. Make up your mind. Decide firmly on the course of action. I will be of good cheer. Because he has already overcame the world. This world is not our home. And listen, it sounds right to say, but when you're in the midst of it, It's the last thing you think of. But that is because it's not something you're putting into practice each and every single day. You have to put this in practice, this newness of life, each and every single day. Trials come. But they come to produce something within us. And I've told you, the problem with a lot of Christians is that they're not allowing the trials to produce anything within them. They give up. Too quickly. But you are to allow them to produce that which it's supposed to do. Perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And that hope is ultimately in Christ. Oh, that you would go forth this week no matter what comes your way. No matter what happens to you. And you will allow it to develop within you that which God has purposed it to do. To make you more like Christ. That you would bear His image. Listen to the Word of God. This is Paul speaking. I have not reached perfection. But this one thing I do... (laughs) Oh, that it would be the same for us. Go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 17. Living the new life. Colossians 3, chapter 1 through 17. 
Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. So decide firmly on a course of action. Make up your mind that you have been raised to a new life in Christ, and so you are to set your sights on the realities of heaven. And what's so important about that? Well, look as as he continues, because that's where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about things of heaven, not things on earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of His glory. So, put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because these sins, the anger of God is coming. Oh, can you hear the word of the Lord today? Can you respond to the word of the Lord today? Since you have been raised up, if you're saying you're a Christian, you've been born again. You've been raised up into a new way of living. So you set your sights on the realities of heaven. That is where our Christ is. That is where our Lord is. That's where Jesus is at, the right hand of the throne of God. So you are to think about the things of heaven. And that's a daily, that's throughout the day. Not the things of the earth. For you died to this life and your real life. You died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ who is your life is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. So with that knowledge, with that application, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. As I said last week, and as I said many a times, oh God, that you will live a transparent life, first before God and then before man, exposing the fruitless deeds of the darkness. Just because you, you, you've accepted Christ, just because you, you're growing in Christ, does not mean that the flesh that is within you is not going to try to wreak havoc. Galatians tells us the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. In fact, we a while ago, we walked through Romans, and I talked to you about when Paul says, Oh, what a wretched man that I am. I keep doing what I don't want to do. <laughs> and then he says, But who will help me? And praise be to God, the answer is Jesus Christ. You don't have to live in torment. Put it to death. The sinful earthly things lurking within you. And how do you put it to death? Die to it. Get up. Press back against it. Use the word of God. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Repent if need be if you gave in to it. If you haven't gave in to it, it's just pressing in on you. Temptation is not the sin. 
Look for the way out. Because the Bible says he makes a way out of every temptation. No matter what that temptation is. So don't give yourself the right to sin. That leads to death. Push back. Fight. Grow up. Mature in this new life. Stop being overtaken. And if it's a vicious cycle, then get around brothers and sisters who will stand with you and fight with you. You don't need to wall around in shame and pull away from Christ and pull away from the church. (laughs) Because you're just giving yourself over to the enemy who wants to isolate you because that's how he defeats you. You You weren't meant to live this Christian life alone. And there's too many Christians trying to do it alone. And they're setting themselves up for destruction. So put to death the sinful earthly, I mean earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Oh, listen to verse 7. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and He lives in all of us. Oh, that you would resolve, that you would decide firmly on the course of action, that you would make up your mind to live as one who has been born again. There is a way in which you are called to live. And listen to the instructions that we are receiving. The Bible says He he has given us everything we need to live a godly life. So what's your excuse? What on God's earth do you think that you're going to say to Him when sin has been mastering you? It ought not to be mastering you. Sin and death are defeated. Get up and live. Get up and live. Choose this day. You ought not to be a worker of iniquity, a worker of sin. You are to be a good and faithful worker. You ought to be growing and maturing, not continually backsliding. Not continuing to allow sin to master you and to defeat you. You're to strip off the old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds and put on your new nature. Verse 12, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, since God chose you, since God chose you, it has nothing to do with you. I keep telling you, you didn't wake up one morning and say, oh, today I'll follow Jesus. Oh, no, it has nothing to do with you. It's because God has chosen you. 
God is pleased to reveal Himself to you through His Son, Jesus. Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must. It doesn't say, well, if you want. No, it says, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And that, look at this, the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom He gives. Sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do, and whatever you do, and whatever you do, or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Amen. Resolve. Decide firmly on a course of action. Make up your mind to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, and with all of your strength. Throughout this week, I've been praying, and I just the, the, the Scripture it just keeps coming back just constantly over and over to pray not only for myself, not only for us, but for the church at large throughout the earth is that we would return to our first love. War, the warfare is intensifying. Everything out there wants to drain you, wants to draw you, wants to hinder you, wants to keep you down. <laughs> Oh, but that, but oh, I pray that we would be renewed, that we would be revived, that He would breathe afresh upon us and ignite the love within us that we first once had for Him, and that we would seek Him above all instead of seeking all the other stuff that's agitating us. We're getting caught up with too much of the temporalness of life. And we're to be swept up in life, in Christ, thinking upon Christ, speaking of Christ, living for Christ. It doesn't matter what happens in this world. This world is going the way it's going. But we are to stand and stand with the assurance that we are to represent Him. It doesn't mean that we don't engage. It doesn't mean that we don't go forth. But oh, don't get caught up by their ways or distracted by all the chaos and confusion. No, you go forth and be, be the light. Speak truth. If you're a Christian, you have what they need to help them to look up to the one who is calling them to himself. This is how we're supposed to be living. Go to Titus chapter 1. Titus 
Titus chapter 1, verse 15 through 16. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving, because their minds and consciences are corrupted. Such people claim they know God, but they deny Him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. Listen to the word of the Lord. And all oh, that you would be found among the pure. We ought not to be just going along, running amok. And as I've always said, trampling upon His blood splashing it up on others, making a mockery of Him, and somehow think we're living for Him. It's time for the church to wake up and to realize we're under full assault from the enemy. I keep telling us, and I've told us for years, we can no longer do church as we did church. We must be the church, not do church. We must live as Christians. We must honor Christ. We must know who He is and know who we are so that we can live a full life and at the end of our life here, well done, my good and faithful servant. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 11 through 15. These scriptures encourage us to remember that Christ is the perfect sacrifice. Chapter 9 of Hebrews, verse 11. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time, and listen to this, O oh God, hear this, and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds. Oh, that the church would hear that this morning. And not just hear it, but grasp it and understand how important it is. So let's listen again. Verse 14, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance 
God has promised them. For Christ died, oh God, listen, for Christ died to set them free from the penalty of their sins they had committed under the first covenant. My God, do you understand freedom? He who the Son has set free is free indeed. Stop giving away your freedom so easily just for a bowl of beans. Stop giving your way, giving away your, your right to His kingdom just for something temporal that comes along and tickles your fancy. Oh God, for God's sakes, we've got to wake up and realize what Christ has done for us. And we have to rejoice in it. And rejoice therefore then, each and every single day, trusting in Him, acknowledging Him, worshiping Him, and when you fail, get up in Him. <laughs> and realize you're to be seated with Him. Repent. Don't make light of sin in your life. Don't throw it off as if it's nothing. No, you should grieve. You, it should be a sincere regret and remorse. Oh God, why did I touch that? Why did I say that? Why did I go there? Why did I give myself to this? Oh, God, forgive me. Christ, you are enough. Holy Spirit, help me get up from it, throw it off, and move forward. Freedom, you all. You're free if you're in Christ. So live as such. We're going to take communion this morning, and then we're going to pick up walking through scriptures. At 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12 is where we're heading. But before then... Let's prepare our hearts to receive communion. We do this in remembrance of our Lord Jesus. We don't take it lightly. We don't treat His blood as if it's common. You understand the significance that you have been washed clean by the blood. You understand that the, that the significance, of, significance of His body being broken, torn apart for you. Do you understand the importance of doing communion? And remembrance of the one who gave his life for us. To redeem us. To reconcile us back. He took our punishment. So that we may be reconciled back to God. And be at peace with God. So as the song plays over us. Think upon that. Allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Repent of any unconfessed sins. And rejoice in the freedom in which you have in Christ.
Carrie, would you pray over the bread? Jesus, your body was broken for us. You gathered with your disciples and you broke your body and broke the bread as a symbol of your body and you said this do in remembrance. They didn't understand then, but we understand now that it was, we are to do this in remembrance of your sacrifice, to forgive our sins, to make a way to spend eternity with you, God. And we thank you for that in your name. Take the bread. Norma, would you pray over the cup? Second Samuel chapter 2, picking up, walking through scripture, chapter 2, second, yeah, second Samuel verse 12, we're going to read through chapter 3 today, and we're walking through scripture in hopes to encourage us to know our God even better, to grow in the knowledge of our God, to really see him for who he is, and as I keep encouraging us, there's no error found in God. The error is found in the created. And we see from the beginning to the end, God has a plan, God has a purpose, that He will have a people that He will call His own, and in return they will call Him their God. They would love Him with their whole being. The story of redemption. The cross was purposed way before the fall. <laughs> Adam and Eve, their fall was not, did not take God by surprise. The cross was purposed way before the earth was formed. God will display His love to all creation. And the beauty of who He is, of His holiness, of His splendor, and just as we know Him to be of God, of, of love, of God that is holy, a God that is just, and in that He is also a God of wrath. 
and for eternities, those who have continued to rebel against him, to stiff-arm him, to say that he's not God, that they will continue to live however they want, then for eternity, they will suffer. Not because he's a bad God. No. He's a good God. He's a just God. And they were wicked people. There's no evil found in God. Wickedness is found in man and the created because the fall. And so all who have been born since the fall have been born into a nature that is in wicked rebellion against the throne of God. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would Believe in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. So that is the good news. And so a lot of times when people hear uh, the gospel preached, when they hear about the wrath of God and the sinful nature of man, they allow the enemy to whisper into their ear as if it's God who has the problem. But God gave us the solution for the problem. God said in the beginning that there would be one that would come that would crush the head of the enemy. So stop listening to the enemy and begin to understand the fullness of God's love and the provision through Christ that reconciles you to God, your Creator. And for all eternity in whom you would dwell with. To be at peace with God, you all. To know your God. To love your God. And so as we open up Scripture, let's begin to seek Him through Scripture. I've encouraged us, the Old Testament is vital. Because it lays the understanding and the foundation of God's plan and for the Messiah Jesus our Lord to come forth from the line of King David all of this is not by chance it is purposed and so be encouraged as you're reading through the Old Testament and definitely as you're reading through the New Testament and as you're looking forward to the day of his return so 2nd Samuel it's all about King David. And setting his throne up that ultimately would be handed over to Christ Jesus. And that throne, that kingdom, will never end. So verse 12 is where we're picking up. One day Abner led Ishbeth's troops from Mahatham and Gibeon to Gibeon. About that same time, Joab, son of Zeral, led David's troops out and met them at the pool of, of Gibeon. The two groups sat down there, facing each other from opposite sides of the pool. Then Abner suggested to Joab, let's have a few of our warriors fight hand to hand here in front of us. All right, Joab agreed. So twelve men were chosen to fight from each side. Twelve men of Benjamin represented, representing Ishbosheth, 
son of Saul, and twelve representing David. Each one grabbed his opponent by the hair and thrust his sword into the side so that all of them died. So this place at Gibeon has known, I'm sorry, has been known ever since as the field of swords. A fierce battle followed that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were defeated by the forces of David. So again, remember, civil war has broken out. Israel is not united under David's rule yet. Joab, Ashia, and Ashel, the three sons of Zedrul, were among David's forces that day. Ashiel could run like a gazelle, and he began chasing Abner. He pursued him relentlessly, not stopping for anything. When Abner looked back and saw him coming, he called out, Is that you, Ashiel? Yes, it is, he replied. Go fight someone else, Abner warned. Take on one of the younger men and strip him of his weapons. Oh, but Ashiel kept running on chasing Abner. Again, Abner shouted to him, Get away from here. I don't want to kill you. How could I ever face your brother Joab again? Oh, but Ashiel refused to turn back. So Abner thrust the butt end of his spear through Ashiel's stomach, and the spear came out through his back. He stumbled to the ground and died there. And everyone who came by that spot stopped and stood still when they saw Ashiel lying there. When Joab and Abshai found out what happened, they set out after Abner. The sun was just going, sorry, the sun was just going down as they arrived at the hill of Amma near Gibeon. Abner's troops from the tribe of Benjamin regrouped there at the top of the hill to take a stand. Abner shouted down to Joab, Must we always be killing each other? Don't you realize that bitterness is the only result? When will you call off your men from chasing their Israelite brothers? Then Joab said, God only knows what would happen if you hadn't spoken, for we would have chased you all night if necessary. So Joab blew the ram's horn, and his men stopped chasing the troops of Israel. All that night, Abner and his men retreated through the Jordan Valley. They crossed the Jordan River, traveling all through the morning, and didn't stop until they arrived at Maatham. Meanwhile, Joab and his men also returned home. When Joab counted his casualties, he discovered that only 19 men were missing in addition to Ashiel. But 360 of Abner's men had been killed, all from the tribe of Benjamin. Joab and his men took Ashiel's body to Bethlehem and buried him there in his father's tomb. Then they traveled all night and reached Hebron by daybreak. That was the beginning of a long war between those who were loyal to Saul and those loyal to David. As time passed, David became stronger and stronger while Saul's dynasty became weaker and weaker. Then these are the sons who were born to David in Hebron. 
So from verse 3 down, you're going to see all those sons. I'm not even going to butcher their names or their mother's names. <laughs> These sons were born to David in Hebron. We pick up in verse 6. As the war between the house of Saul and the house of David went on, Abner became a powerful leader among those loyal to Saul. One day, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, accused Abner of sleeping with one of his father's concubines, a woman named Rishbah, son of Ai. Abner was furious, and some Judean dog, am I some Judean dog to be kicked around like this, he shouted, after all I have done for your father, Saul, and his family and friends, by not handing you over to David, is this my reward, that you find fault with me about this woman? May God strike me and even kill me if I don't do anything. If I don't do everything I can to help David get what the Lord has promised him. I'm going to take Saul's kingdom and give it to David. I will establish the, David, uh, the throne of David over Israel as well as Judah, all the way from Dan to the north of Beersheba and the south. Ishbosheth didn't dare say another word because he was afraid of what Abner might do. It was a great insult to Abner. And as I was studying and reading different commentaries to accuse him of sleeping with one of the, his father's, Saul's concubine, is basically saying that Abner's trying to take the throne. And Abner is upset now. How dare you accuse me of such things? I've done nothing but fight to keep your father's throne intact. But now Abner has chosen to go forth now and to set up David's throne, to become an ally of David. Then Abner sent messengers to David saying, Doesn't the entire land belong to you? Make a solemn pact with me and I will help turn over all of Israel to you. All right, David replied, but I will not negotiate with you unless you bring back my wife, Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come. David then sent his messenger to Ishbosheth, Saul's son. Give me back my wife, Michael, for I brought her with the lives of a hundred Philistines. So Ishbosheth took Michael away from her husband, Palti, son of Laish. Palti followed along behind her as far as Buram, weeping as he went. Then Abner told him, go back home. So Palti returned. Meanwhile, Abner had consulted with the elders of Israel. For some time now, he told them, you have wanted to make David your king. Now is the time. For the Lord has said, I have chosen David to save my people Israel from the hands of the Philistines and all of their other enemies. Abner also spoke with the men of Benjamin. Then he went to Hebron to tell David that all the people of Israel and Benjamin had agreed to support him. When Abner and the twenty of his men came to Hebron, David entertained them with a great feast. Then Abner said to David, Let me go and call an assembly of all Israel to support my lord the king. They will make a covenant with you to make you their king, and you will rule over everything your heart desires. So David sent Abner safely along his way. 
But just as David had sent Abner away in safety, Joab, a son of David's, some of David's troops returned from a raid, bringing much plunder with them. When Joab arrived, he was told that Abner had just been there visiting the king and had been sent away in safety. Joab rushed to the king and demanded, What have you done? What do you mean by letting Abner get away? You know perfectly well that he came to spy on you and find out everything you're doing. Joab then left David and sent messengers to catch up with Abner, asking him to return. They found him at the well of Syrah and brought him back, though David knew nothing about it. When Abner arrived back at Hebron, Joab took him aside at the gateway as if to speak with him privately. But when he stabbed Abner in the stomach and killed him in revenge for killing, I'm sorry, but then he stabbed Abner in the stomach and killed him in revenge for killing his brother Ashiel. When David heard about it, he declared, I vow by the Lord that I and my kingdom are forever innocent of this crime against Abner, son of Ner. Joab and his family are the guilty ones. May the family of Joab be cursed in every generation with a man who has open sores or leprosy, or, who's walk, or who walks on crutches, or dies by the sword, or begs for food. So Joab and his brother Abshai killed Abner because Abner had killed their brother Ashiel at the battle of Gibeon. Then David said to Joab and all those who were with him, Tear your clothes and put on burlap. Mourn for Abner. And King David himself walked behind the procession to the grave. They buried Abner in Hebron, and the king and all the people wept at his gravesite. Then the king sang this funeral song for Abner. Should Abner have died as fools dies? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not chained. No, you were murdered, the victim of a wicked plot. All the people wept again for Abner. David had refused to eat anything on the day of the funeral, and now everyone begged him to eat. But David had made a vow saying, May God strike me and even kill me if I eat anything before sundown. This pleased the people very much. In fact, everything the king did pleased them. So everyone in Judah and all of Israel understood that David was not responsible for Abner's murder. Then David said to his officials, Don't you realize that a great commander has fallen today in Israel? And even though I am the anointed king, these two sons of Zeruel, Joab and Ashbel, are too strong for me to control. So may the Lord repay these evil men for their evil deeds. Wow. Everything is being positioned. David's throne is being established. We're seeing choices and decisions that others are making that ultimately come and bring forth their downfall. When wisdom is not used, nothing good can come from it. But David, we see wisdom being applied. He's not reckless right now in his choices. Although he will become reckless. <laughs> but right now we see him humbled. Right now we see God working in the midst of all the chaos and confusion. Establishing that which he has purposed. 
Oh, that you can trust your God and know your God. That He will bring about what He has purposed. Go to John chapter 13, verse 1 through 30. John chapter 13. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that His hour had come to leave this world and return to His Father. He had loved His disciples during His ministry on earth, and now He loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon, Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given Him authority over everything, and that He had come from God and would return to God. Don't miss out the importance of those scriptures. It was time for supper. Look at this, how everything is laid out here. Jesus knew the hour is at hand. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas. Nothing is out of the control of, God's, of God. He knows all. He sees all. He's purposed all. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So with this understanding, with this knowledge, with everything purposed, it was the hour. It was the time. So Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into the basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never ever wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, Then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. And Jesus replied, A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. Understand this. Jesus knew from the beginning all along who Judas was. He knows the hearts of men. He knows those who belong to him and those who are just hanging around him. And ultimately the one who would betray him. For Jesus knew who would betray him. This is what he meant when he said, Not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that is what I am. And since I, your Lord, and teacher has washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not, are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. 
Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but this fulfills the scripture that says, The one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth. Anyone who welcomes my messengers is welcoming me, and anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. Now Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other wondering, who could he mean? The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table, and Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, who is he talking about? So the disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? And Jesus responded, it is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Iscariot. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus, oh God, listen to this scripture. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. You understand that? Satan is not in control of this. The enemy is not in control with all the chaos that's going on. He's causing it. But it's to fulfill the purpose of the living God. Satan thought that he could rise up above God. But he was cast down and cast out along with the angels that followed after him. But none of that has taken God by surprise. Everything is planned. Everything is purpose for God, by God. To ultimately to reveal God to all creation that He is God. Oh, that you would know your God, love your God. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or give something, some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, and listen to this, going out into the night. Hmm. Go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. <laughs> The longest psalm. <laughs> Verses 1 through 16. Again, that we would know our God. That we would trust in our God. That we would worship our God. That you would find joy in your walk with the Lord. That you would have a desire to mature as a Christian. To live as a disciple. To follow Jesus to trust in Jesus, to obey Jesus. Psalm 119, as I have encouraged us with the book of Psalms, oh, that you would find strength as you're meditating upon these Psalms, that you would look up and that you would fix your eyes on Jesus. Joyful are people of integrity Amen. who follow the instructions of the Lord. 
Joyful are those who obey His laws and search for Him with all of their hearts. Oh, that we would hear that. They do not compromise with evil. If you're compromising with evil, you're not searching for the Lord. So let us be people who search for Him and seek Him. And the Word of God says that if we seek Him, we will find Him. If we seek Him with our whole heart, they do not compromise with evil and they walk only in His paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. Mm -hmm. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living, listen to this, as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. Oh, that we would know our God, that we would be in relationship, communion with our God. As I said earlier, that this is a spiritual life. You've been reborn. God in you. The Holy Spirit. You're to be continuing day in and day out in relationship with the Holy Spirit. He is your guide. He is your teacher. He is your comforter. When you fall, cling to Him. Get up. Repent. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Don't deny Him. Don't withdraw from Him. Don't make it all about your sin and your failure. His grace is far much greater than your sin. Get up, but don't treat grace lightly. Grace is the power to transform you. It's not the license for you to continue to sin as it's been made out to be in our generation. That we would walk upright in the midst of a crooked and wicked and perverse generation, but not by our might, not by our power, but only by the Spirit of God as He leads us. Verse 9, how can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. This isn't, this, this isn't just some song just to say it's a song. No, this is life-giving understanding and wisdom. How can a young person, and beyond just a young person, a person within themselves stay pure in a world that is impure, that a world that has nothing pure within it? Everything is out to distract us or to consume us or to persuade us to go a different direction, to give in to your appetites and to your hunger. For God's sakes, do you not see how the world is going? And people are going along with it. The most craziest things are the norm now. And we're the ones that look foolish if we just don't parade along with it. So how then can we remain pure, God, with all of this going on, all of this trying to attract us and to uh, uh, captivate us by obeying His Word? By obeying His Word, are you a disciple of Christ? Are you in His Word? Do you have a hunger for His Word? Is the only time you hear the Word is on Sunday? How sad for you. 
Because if it's only on Sunday, then I can assure you, you're not obeying it Monday through Saturday. Because you don't have a hunger for it. And your ways are not pure. And you're not growing. You're not maturing. Because you're not being discipled. I can't stress it enough. We see it all through Scripture. He goes on, I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart. Listen to this, that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Listen, again, I can't stress it enough. It's not about Christian perfectionism. No one is teaching that. But for God's sake, sin is not to be mastering you. It doesn't mean you won't sin. But if you do, you don't stay down, entangled with it. Where's the message that we find all through Scripture of the hope and the freedom that is found in Christ? He is our deliverer. And oh, that we would treasure His Word. Oh, that we would treasure His presence. Oh, that we would know what it is to worship the living God. Oh, that we would know that we have been given the right to come before Him. That we have been engrafted into His family. That we have the right to call Him Abba, to call Him Daddy. To know that we are sealed until the day of redemption because of the Holy Spirit. And the freedom that comes from this relationship that we didn't look for, but that He chose us. He's prepared us. He equipped us. He knew us before He placed us into our mother's womb. He numbered the hairs on our heads. He knows us intimately. He's prepared good works for us to do for His kingdom. For His glory. Do you know Him? Oh, how I pray you do. Go to Proverbs 15, verse 29 through 30. Proverbs 15, 29 through 30. The book of wisdom. And here are two nuggets to take with you. The Lord is far from the wicked... But he hears the prayers of the righteous. A cheerful look brings joy to the heart. Good news makes for good health. Oh, that we would be numbered among the righteous. Again, not because of anything of us, but all because of Christ. And that we would be a praying people. Seeking him above all, led by the Holy Spirit to accomplish His will in this generation. Amen. I'm going to close us with this song, and then I'll close us in prayer.
I will obey you. Leave. 